a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Check this out. The Utes are Rose Bowl bound for a battle against Ohio State. The Utah Utes headed to the Rose Bowl for the first time in program history. Emphatic champions. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena is right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson. We're going to talk some college football, but uh, we're just chatting off the air. Not a, I haven't been as committed to the bowl season, Ben, as I have in the past. We were chatting about that. Is that is that us because we're you know all in on the Jazz and uh, they've been playing on Christmas Day. They've got a back to back on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and it's it's a healthy commitment. Or it just seems to me I haven't been compelled by many matchups. Like there haven't been that many games out there where it's like I've got to watch that. I do think there's been. Because this is happening for everybody across sports in every world, basically, is that they, there's kind of a general malaise as far as the approach to how we're watching sports. It's certainly changed over the last couple of years, and I think that's very understandable. But this year, I think it's been particularly uninteresting. That is one of the problems with college football, though, and they've designed it this way. The games really don't matter. No offense to BYU or Utah State, because the, I thought Utah State's win actually over Oregon State is one of the better wins we've seen. One in, of the better matchups. That, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Correct. Uh, but until you kind of get after Christmas, the bowl games are just a little generic at this point. To the point where like they're canceling games that people don't know about. The Arizona Bowl gets canceled. Canceled. I don't know who's going to play. Got canceled. <laughs> but them, it got canceled, you know, and, and like we talked about a little bit yesterday, was the Sun Bowl now gets made up with yep. Washington State's going to be playing Central Michigan, Central Michigan. So it's like, OK, they, they salvaged it. It's not sacred. Again, the Bulls have lost a little bit of that, that dignity that we've talked about. And, and New Year's Six games are going to be great. I can't wait for them. I'm very excited for the Rose Bowl. And we've got a ton of coverage at KSLSports.com. So you can go check that out. Of course, we're going to have a ton of the coverage here right, right here on the zone as well. But I, I just some of these bowls have been lacking interest for me. There also just haven't been a ton of like great Pac-12 games yet so far. That's And I look, I'm a Pac-12 fan. I love keeping an eye on the Pac-12. I like seeing what Utah's opponents do. I like seeing how they end up faring. And UCLA hasn't played yet. Oregon State played and lost. And, and we'll start getting into some of these good games hopefully coming up in the next little bit. But You're right. I mean, uh, what, tonight? UCLA takes on uh, NC State in the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Yeah. That's a that's a decent matchup. Yeah, it's a good matchup. Again, post Christmas, the bowl games get better. This game is good that we're watching. Now Houston's blowing out Auburn ten to zero, but Houston's a top twenty team. Houston was kind of in the conversation for the college football playoff at one point or a New Year's Six yeah. bowl game. Uh, and Auburn, you know, I mean Auburn's not good. They're six and six, but Houston will be happy if they beat an SEC school. Like this isn't the worst bowl game that's out there. And this is kind of the good argument that we're getting to in college football is, are the best P5 teams better than mid-level SEC teams? And this is a good argument for Houston being there. I have no idea why Auburn hired Brian Harson. No. That seemed like a weird no. fit. I know why Brian Harson took the job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was easy. That was yeah. an easy gig. Okay. I can retire in three years. Dude, go, go. If I'm good, I'll end up at Georgia. If I'm bad... I've got a trillion dollars. I can go coach at Wyoming or yeah. wherever they want me. I'll, I'll end up in St. Thomas. Yeah. It, it all works out yeah. well for me. Yeah. So, 
But, uh, yeah, the Bulls, I haven't been quite dialed in. Maybe I should be patient. I'm glad they salvaged the Sun Bowl. I think that's And we've been busy. And we have been busy. You work a lot with jazz games. Uh, well, it's not like you're not working too there, Ben. So don't don't sell yourself short over there. Um, but uh, I think you know people. Uh, we get caught up in the news about Ohio State players not playing. Uh, ben, I liked Utah in this matchup. I know you feel similar similarly. Um, before that news, I think uh, Utah is the exact type of team that Ohio State does not want to play, and it's it's. The, their recipe to win football games is the recipe to beat Ohio State, and I think that's good news for the Utes. Yeah, you look at what Michigan was able to do when they beat Ohio State. Like it was, it was not high scoring game. Michigan was not out there trying to fight fire with fire. They're trying to slow the game down. They're trying to run the clock. They're trying to keep it on the ground. I mean, they are not out there to try and match up the high powered offense that Ohio State has. And Utah's going to be just fine with that. That's what Utah's going to do well is uh, very similar to how Michigan plays. Now, Utah actually has more offensive talent than Michigan does this year. So that's going to be uh, an advantage for the Utes. But, man, Utah is just fine going to their running backs over and over. Letting Tavion Thomas win this game. Letting Mika Tafua win this game. Winning it at the line of scrimmage is not going to be something Utah's going to be scared of doing, especially against this Ohio State It's team. Utah football. Yep. You know, it, it was similar in a way to when they faced Alabama because Utah was a really bad matchup for Alabama with the style of defense that Coach Witt plays. you got a guy in Sean Smith on the outside that can lock up Julio Jones all night long, and then Witt's free to do what Witt does with the rest of his team, which is stop the run, which is exactly what that Alabama team wanted to do. And next thing you know, Utah's got a big lead, and they're on their way to blowing out Alabama. They were a bad matchup for the Crimson Tide. I think they Utah, for different reasons, although kind of similar reasons, is a bad matchup for Ohio State, and they're going to want it more. But even better. Even more so. Like, Alabama was so much more talented than Utah was. Now, again, Utah had whatever eight NFL guys on that roster— Alabama was still the more talented team because it's Alabama. That's how good Alabama is. They were still more talented than Utah where it was 1 through 53. Sure. You know? Now, Utah was that was maybe the best team Utah's ever had as far as NFL talent goes. But this gap between, you know, I think Utah has a real argument that they're as talented, especially without all these guys right now at Ohio State. Like, Brent sure. Keithy's, I mean, it's crazy he's coming back next year. No, but he's great. But he's, he's, an, he's NFL an NFL guy. player. Yeah. Cam Rising is not big, but if he keeps playing well, like, he will get a look in the NFL. So you've got a potential NFL quarterback. You have a an NFL defensive end. You have an NFL center. You have an NFL running back. You have an NFL corner. You have two NFL linebackers. Like, Utah's stacked. Utah's low. Bam might get a chance in the NFL because there's just not many six, yeah. seven guys like that. Like, there are guys on this Utah roster that are going to play in the league for a while. So this is, a, this is one of the best Utah teams, maybe the best we've ever seen. I don't know if Rising's an, an NFL guy, you know, maybe he ends up being that. But but as long as we're comparing with the 2008 team, Cam Rising is way more Brian Johnson than he is Alex Smith. 100%. Brian was so smart and such a gamer, he just knew how to win football games. He just right. knew how to do it. He knew the game that well. And he could, he knew his own abilities that well. Because honestly, he, after he hurt his shoulder his junior year, Ben, I want to say, he could never throw the ball the same way again. Right. It's the reason he never played in the NFL. But he still beat all these teams and, and played incredible football and, and was arguably the best quarterback in Utah history. Certainly from a winning standpoint, he yep. was. Yep. Um, because he was such a gamer and he knew how to play football and he enjoyed it and, he was the leader of those teams, even though he wasn't the best player. And again, I, I don't think Cam Rising is the best player on Utah's team, but he has all of that that Bryant did, where he he just knows how to win. And believes in himself. And believes and in himself. Great in point. Him. The yeah, team believes great in point. him. Great uh, point. And, and he's timely, which is kind of, you know, which is maybe a better word than game manager we talk about. Like, it's not like Brian Johnson never threw the ball. Like, he couldn't throw it as... I mean, uh, Cam Rising has a better arm than Brian does. Yes. Well, at that a point in his better. career, certainly. Yeah, uh, yeah. A ton Very better. Uh, but Cam isn't taking shots just to take shots to show off his arm strength. Now, we saw the flea flicker against USC. Like, he can throw the ball 50 yards through the air if he needs to. Like, he really... And he's got incredible touch. Like, he really has... But he also recognizes, like, I don't need to be that guy. It's not about me throwing the ball as far as I can every time I... Every opportunity I get. Sometimes Brant Keithy over the middle for eight yards on third down is going to move the sticks and you're going to be just fine. Or when it comes to the zone read play, it's all right to let Tavion Thomas eat. Right. 
Absolutely. In I fact, mean, it's better. It, in fact, it's better. It's that that's a lesson that Tyler Hundley had to learn. Somehow, sometimes it's all right to let Zach Moss eat. Uh, looking at how Michigan beat Ohio State to go back to this comparison that you were able to make, uh, C.J. Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State, and his numbers are going to look like this against Utah as well. 34 of 49, so 50 passing attempts, 394 yards, two touchdowns, like an absurdly prolific game. They only scored 27 points. Like Utah will allow him to throw for 400 yards, and they would take it if they can hold him to 27 points. Michigan, Cade McNamara, who's not a great quarterback, is fine. 13 of 19 passing, 160 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. They scored 42 points without a huge offensive game from their quarterback because they didn't need to because Haskins on the ground had 170 yards and five touchdowns. Like, that's not unheard of for what Tavion Thomas can do. That, in fact, sounds just like Tavion Thomas. That's what he did over the second half of the season. So I think that's where Utah's going to go. I think that's what they're going to look at. You'll get more production from Cam Rising than you did from Cade McNamara at Michigan. But, man, it doesn't need to be a lot different. That is the game tape Utah's going to be looking at and absolutely salivating. Ben, it's a simple game sometimes. Basketball, it's a simple game sometimes. You can get cute with three versus two and open and spacing in this, but what's the best shot in basketball always it's going to be? It's the dunk. It's the layup. It's the dunk yeah. or the layup. Right. In, in football, if you can run over the other team, you're going to win. Give me four yards every play. I'm going to win every single time. Every single yep. time. Yep. And, you know, it's, of course, more complicated than that. So thus the finesse team is born and, you know, there's other ways that there's, uh, there's nuance to it. But if you can run the ball and the other team is unable to stop you, you're going to win Correct. every single time. And you know what? Ohio State didn't have a lot of time. Now, they, they still had prolific passing yards. Like I mentioned, they could not run the ball all that well. They had 64 total yards of rushing. Now, that included a negative 30 yards because C.J. Stroud got sacked by Aiden Hutchinson, who's going to be the number one pick in the draft, because of this performance. But Mika Tafua can do some of those same things. Like, Mika Tafua is an elite pass rusher. He's a very high-level pass rusher. So when you want to look at going up against Ohio State, who is now not going to have their starting left tackle, Mika Tafua is going to eat on Saturday. Yep. He's going to be just fine. So I think you're going to see a big performance from Utah. I thought Utah was going to win this game before all these guys decided to back out. Yep. And, of course, I feel even stronger about it now. Yeah, I think I think the way that they play is going to be really difficult for Ohio State. To, and Ohio to State doesn't want to be there. Yeah, it, and they don't want to be there. You cannot tell me four guys who are going to be... Top 50 picks in the NFL draft leaving doesn't just hurt the talent on the field. It's the psyche of everyone around him who says, uh, New Year's Day. I partied last night a little bit more than I was supposed to. My guy who I'm used to playing next to isn't here. So the jabroni next to me doesn't really know what he's doing. Ran the wrong route. I'm just, you know what? Maybe I'm not going all out in this game either. I just, I can't believe knowing people knowing how like the human mind works that that they're going to be 100 percent engaged when that when those types of players haven't showed up to play with them they're just it breaks up the team it's bad for chemistry so utah goes out there and uh and stomps them i wouldn't be surprised if it's 42 27 you know just the, like michigan ohio state that feels like a, the right number to me honestly the biggest mistake utah probably made in 2008 was stomping alabama because Utah fans get grumpy about, oh, Alabama didn't want to be there. Well, that's the excuse because they got stomped. Boise goes out in the Fiesta Bowl and barely beats Oklahoma yep. on the Statue of Liberty play. And they get all the credit in the world for taking down Goliath because it was some close game. You know, if Utah mops the floor with Ohio State, all they're going to get was, well, the Buckeyes didn't want to be there. But if Utah beats them, you know, by two, ironically enough, they'll get all the credit in the world. And... You know what? I guess, honestly, what, what Ryan Day's going to look back at is the Sugar Bowl, though. Not going to watch the game film, but he's going to say, look, like, guys, you can't come out and be Alabama. Utah will stomp you if you don't show up to this game. Now, the difference is, I really believe Alabama was unprepared for that game. I think Ohio State, the guys that are out there, are going to try and play hard. Again, I don't think they're going to believe in themselves as much as they would if they had everybody no, else out there. No, but a young receiver gets his bite at the Apple and the Rose Bowl. He's going to go out there and Correct. try and play his best. Correct. Yeah, for sure. So Ohio State will take this game seriously. I'm not in the camp that, that Ohio State's just going to no-show on purpose because they don't care about the Rose Bowl. These guys are still out there. They're going to play hard. And they know Utah's good. You don't beat Oregon twice in three weeks and not be good, especially an Oregon team that Ohio State also lost to. Yeah. They're going to respect Utah and Kyle Whittingham. But I don't think that necessarily means they can beat them. No, I agree with you. I think you're right on the money, Ben. Discussion over. 
Let's not does, talk about it the rest does, of the week. Utah's going to win. We can just close the book on that, Don't which is nice. Don't play the game. Which is nice. Yeah, congrats, feels, Utah. Rose Bowl <laughs> champions. Feels good. No, I mean, the U's just, uh, as a team, need to keep their head down. Uh, hopefully, Ohio State's doing the same thing, so we can actually see this game uh, played. That's the other thing that's that's looming out there. And so, whatever the Jazz are doing, you hope the Utes are doing, and Ohio State is doing, we can see a game yeah. on New Year's Day. I agree. Uh, now, they're still going to have talent at wide receiver, uh, is Ohio State. Now, you mentioned Garrett Wilson's not going to be there. Chris Olave's not going to be there. Uh, and they had a combined 200 yards and a touchdown on 17 receptions against uh, Michigan. But Jackson Smith-Najigba, who's there was their most prolific wide receiver against uh, Michigan, is still going to be out there. He had 11 catches for uh, 130 yards, and every time you watch Ohio State this year, he was one of their deep threats. But you know what? It's a lot easier to uh, you know kind of throw a bracket at him, throw a couple of guys at him uh, if he's the only super, superstar wide receiver that they have coming up in this game, and that, that will help Utah. It'll be interesting because this Utah team of all teams going to the Rose Bowl has a defense that is really young. Of all the dominant defenses yeah. that Utah's thrown out there. And this this defense was the best in the Pac-12, so we're not talking about Swiss cheese. But it's young. It's young, and it doesn't, you know, it's it's got the, the top-end guy with Devin Lloyd, who may be the best defensive player Witt's ever coached, as we've yeah. argued on this show. And we planted in Witt's mind, because you noticed he brought that up a few next, weeks yep, later. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what we do, Ben. Laying seeds. We get into your brain, and we just don't leave. We're there all of the time. Some people call it a seed. We call it a parasite. But a, a superstar that is making all the plays and a young a young defense that's come into its own around him, it's just not what kind of we're used to at Utah. And interesting that uh, this is the defense that I think has a monstrous opportunity uh, in the Rose Bowl. They could give up 400 yards and still win, but would you put it, uh, you know, uh, would you put it out of the question that Utah has a dominant defensive performance and Ohio State struggles to get to 20? No. I wouldn't put it past no. them. But they don't have the secondary that you're talking about, which is interesting. It's yeah. funny. That has so often been the case for Utah right. this year. You've got Sean Or, or Smith, historically. You know, or you've got Bryce McCain. Mc, or Marquise Blair. Yeah. I mean, the number of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Jalen Johnson. You just, I mean, the number of superstars Utah's had in the secondary that are NFL guys. I mean, even like Tevin Carter. Oh, my showed gosh. Up to Was- showed up to play for Washington, like 40 pounds overweight, apparently, on opening day in the NFL. And they cut him. They're like, You're not, what are you doing here? But he was so good at Utah. He was a missile. Yeah, he was uh, just unbelievable. Marquise Blair was just out to hurt people. Yep. That's all he wanted to do was hurt people. So Utah doesn't necessarily have those guys. Uh, Clark Phillips certainly very good and will be very good and continue to get, get better. But, yeah, they don't necessarily have those guys this season, which is a dangerous tool to play with when you're going up against Ohio State, but they are so good in that uh, in that front seven. They're going to be they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine. They should be okay. You would think so. It, it'll be can the offense put up the points and, you know, based on how the offense uh, has played this year, I don't see why not. Yeah, as long as the O-line comes out and plays like they did when they, you know, yep. round into shape for conference play, I would guess the offense is going to be fine. And again, the, the way Utah lost this year were generally teams that were pretty good defensively and could run the ball. Right. That's not Ohio State. I mean, San Diego State could really run the ball. BYU could really run the ball this year. Oregon State, did I say Oregon State already? Nope. No. Oregon State really ran the ball. That is not what Ohio State's trying to come out and do to beat you. And they're not that good defensively. So. And they don't have their left tackle. And they don't have their left tackle. Or their best D lineman. Or their two best wide yeah. receivers. Mika Tafua was in a really good mood yesterday. He's like, hey. Weird. Well, I think, you know what? I'm going to go have myself a Rose Bowl. Let's go do this thing. Go pile up a few more sacks and uh, put some stuff And I wouldn't rule this out. You beat Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. If you do, knock on wood, not trying to put the cart before the horse. I know we're talking excitedly about the Utes. There's a real argument this is the best win in Utah football history. Oh, I think so. Sure. I think there's a real argument. Yeah. You could say that. You know, it's got to see how it looks. got to see what it feels like. But you look back on the season, it just, it, it just has storybook written all over and could be the best win in Utah football history if and, they get it done. And you do it in the Rose Bowl, all of a sudden Mel Kuyper and his beautiful hair is going, you know, how about this Mika Tafua character? Yeah, right. He's rocketing up my board. Right, yeah, you're not, Aiden Hutchinson did the same thing, but his numbers were actually better against, yeah, exactly. Tavion Thomas, four touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. He has to declare for the draft. Right. Which kills you next year, but you won the Rose Bowl. You traded all for a Rose Bowl. At this point? Yeah. There's no like guarantee you're, you're back next year. No, and it's not like you're not going to have talent on the team next year. Correct. I mean, if Utah's proven anything, they can find good running backs. They can reload. They can find yep. uh, a stud at that particular position. All right. 
Stay tuned. We're going to get to Coach Randy Ray coming up right around the corner, our weekly conversation with him. It is Jake and Ben right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. The Utes are Rose Bowl bound for a battle against Ohio State. The Utah Utes headed to the Rose Bowl for the first time in program history. Emphatic champions. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena is right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Five and twelve eighty. The zone. Jake Scott. Ben Anderson. I don't know why today, but I've I've told you like three Britton Johnson, Sean Bradley stories, which will never, ever get old. And by the way, sending out our best to Sean Bradley. Yeah, of course. As, uh, he's going through uh, going through some stuff. And uh, we anyway, we were talking about uh, how wonderful and approachable Sean Bradley is. Truly, one of the good uh, the good people out there on this planet. Anyway, it would be hard to be recognizable. That's that's where we. Uh, it would that's just be hard to be recognized. It would be. It, it, you're you're always. Everybody's always aware of you at yep. all times. It'd be very difficult to blend in. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk to Randy Ray. We hope uh, coming up here momentarily. The head coach at uh, Weber State. His conversation on the show is brought to you, as always, by our friends at Larry H. Miller Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Riverdale. Live here, work here, cheer for the Wildcats here. Buy here, Larry H. Miller Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Riverdale. Online LHM Riverdale. Dot com. So we'll talk to uh, to Coach Ray coming up here in a moment as uh, they he's getting set for that old Montana road trip, Ben. Yep. Which uh, I love the great state of Montana. It is beautiful. I have family in Missoula. I have a fondness for that particular town, Ben. But you know when the not the best time to visit Montana? <laughs> Late <laughs> December. It's, it's, I, I once spent New Year's in Missoula and actually had a really great time, Ben. But... The weather was not good. Not good. During the pandemic last year, which is still ongoing, I escaped to Big Sky Country. I did. I just went, Big up, to, Sky's I went up to Bozeman and yeah. I went up to Missoula just because there's few people. I've never been up there before. I thought, I'll just go get an Airbnb and I'll disappear for a couple of days. And it was really nice. The towns and the communities are, are quirky, too, like in a, in a very good, charming old way. Old college towns. Yeah, or right. like, yeah, this town had an economy that was really thriving for just that city in 1970 or 1965, and they kind of never change. But they're they're gorgeous. Yeah, those are beautiful towns. I would I get why you would go play basketball there. Oh, I do the same too. reason yeah. I get why you would go and play in Ogden. Like those are very cool towns. I get why kids want to go play at some of these cities and play for some of these schools. I think that's a, a fun opportunity. So we'll talk to Coach Randy Ray. Uh, hopefully, coming up here in the next few. The minutes. one I don't get is Laramie. No, like I get the charming towns, but the the one I don't get is Laramie. Unless you like wind. Unless you love the wind, unless you grew up one of like at a, at a wind farm or something, where you're like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> I miss the wind. I miss the wind. I'm going to go play basketball in Laramie. I'm going to follow in the shoes of Theo Ratliff. Uh, Jake, the Jazz are two and zero oh this year in games in which Donovan Mitchell doesn't play. I think they're two and three in games oh, in which Mike, they're better without him. In ben. which Mike Conley doesn't play. Yeah, do you have takeaways on that? Do you have any thoughts on what cut Donovan? The Jazz do trade him. Can we get a second round pick? No, for Donovan? you don't even need to trade him. Just, just, Wave him. just move on. Uh, no uh, takeaways from life without Donovan. The Jazz uh, have a deep-ish team. Yeah, I think For that's sure. a good no question. They have it. people or players that are able to go beyond their roles and contribute. You know, it, you know, you get to a playoff series and things like that. It's obviously a different story. But if you're trying to give Donovan a few games to get his uh, his back feeling a little bit better, Jazz are more than capable of doing that. Joe Ingles stepped in, had a nice game. We talked about Clarkson, had a nice game. I thought Mike Conley. I I kind of made a prediction off the air with Tim as we were watching. I said this is going to be a big night for Mike, and maybe it wasn't from a uh, you know if you look at the box score, it doesn't jump right off the page. But Mike Conley had four steals last night. Yeah. I mean, he was all over the floor and had a very Mike Conley-esque game. So I think the Jazz are very capable of picking up production in the regular season from Donovan Mitchell, and I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think it was kind of nice that Mike Conley was just fine last night. He was fine. He wasn't 
all-star Mike Conley last night. Right. You know, if he plays like that every game, no one's talking about him as an all-star. Five of 15, you know, one of six from the three-point line, 12 points. That's not a fantastic night. As you mentioned, he had the four steals. He had six rebounds. He only had two dimes. So he was not playing the highest level of basketball we've ever seen from Mike Conley. But you didn't need him to be a superstar because you had Boyan play pretty well at some important moments and, of course, hit big threes, which is or hit a big three, which is kind of what he does. Uh, Rudy Gobert is always Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 13 boards, three blocks, and was you know second highest on the team in plus minus. Jordan Clarkson was terrific, and Hassan actually was really good again last night. The Jazz really got a lot from Hassan Whiteside when they needed him to, which was good because this Spurs team went small, Last time these two teams played, Quinn Snyder tried to match it a little bit through Rudy Gay. He actually did last night for a couple of minutes and late in the second quarter as well. But that was because Gobert was in foul trouble, right? And could have gone back to Hassan Whiteside yeah, if he wanted to, but not. said, let's try something. But but Hassan should punish smaller lineups because he's a very, you know, he has a long history as a good NBA player and, and had 13 points and 8 rebounds in just 19 minutes last night. And you know what? I do think Quinn Snyder said, let's just throw Trent Forrest to the Wolves a little bit. Because I think there's a couple of reasons. One, if you want a defensive stopper on this team that's going to show up in the playoffs, Trent Forrest is probably your best guard defender right now. I mean, he might be a better perimeter defender than Royce O'Neal. Not all over the floor. Royce is great in the no, post. No, he's got to chase around a point guard. Trent's probably your guy Yep. if you need him for a couple of minutes. So that's one reason to play him. Uh, another reason to play him is you're trying to keep Mike Conley under 30 minutes every night, if possible. Mike Conley only played 28 minutes. Didn't check back into the game with a minute 50 left when San Antonio cut the lead from 12 to 6. He ran with Trent Forrest and it kept Mike Conley under 30 minutes. And then, you know, there's a very real chance where the Jazz are going to get hit by COVID in the next couple of weeks. And Trent Forrest is going to have to play. Trent Forrest is going to have to close games for you. So you were in a spot where you probably felt pretty safe that you were going to win the game. You ran with Trent Forrest. He played 20 minutes, his high for uh, the season so far, and he was fine. He wasn't great. He had four rebounds. He had two assists, but he certainly didn't lose you the game, and that's good enough right now for a guy who should be your fifth guard on most nights. And proves, once again, if you want to make the Jazz at the back of the roster and have a chance to play, you probably should guard. Just guard. That's your ticket. Just guard. I know you have a thirst to see Jared Butler play and see him dribble, Ben, but he's not going to do it unless he guards. And Trent Forrest, I thought it was interesting in his post game. he says all the teammates uh, encourage him to be more aggressive. And I thought, you know, he, he listed off the lineup that he plays with, and he's like, those guys are great yeah. players, you yeah. know? I'm, I'm trying to not ruin it for those dudes out there. And I thought it was, it was interesting, his mindset, whereas, you know, everybody's telling him, be more aggressive, be a point guard. I think that's what Rudy said, right? Yeah. I tell him to be a point guard, you know, and go out there and run the show. And he's like, man, I'm playing, I'm playing with Jordan Clark. Clarkson, right. you know? Jordan F. Clarkson, this great NBA right. player, the sixth man of the year. I just don't want to screw it up for him. And, you know, you look at his plus minus, he's minus two last night right. from Trent Forrest. And literally all you're asking from him is don't lose the game. Don't lose the game. And he was minus two and was in the lineup with Eric Pascal, who was minus six in one minute, yeah. and Elijah Hughes, who was minus six in one minute. So really, Trent Forrest was positive for most of his yeah. 20 minutes. Only had one turnover, which has kind of been his right. issue lately, too, in his stint so on the floor. So he played fine. No, and, and he was good. go out and he can guard. He's going to play for Quinn Snyder. That's gonna, he's going to get the nod because he's going to do that. I do think he needs to be willing to shoot the ball. He needs to be willing to look at the basket because you need to respect that that will be a shot that he takes. Whether it goes in or not, don't shoot the ball he's 10 times, but you need to make the guy who's defending you think that you're a threat to shoot the ball. So at least he has to space the floor defensively a little bit to either come out to you or defend you when you're going to the rim and not sag off you knowing you're going to pass the ball, which is why you end up turning it over. If they know the pass is coming every time, they'll take it away. He's got to shoot the floater or get to the rim and take a layup. And you know what he did last night? He went to the I think he was playing with Hassan. He goes, he misses a layup. Hassan Whiteside gets the offensive rebound and gets a putback because a defensive player had to pay attention to what he was doing and the big had to swing over to try and block his shot, which allows Hassan to get so many putback points, which is what Rudy Gobert does. You know, Rudy Gobert gets a lot of, uh, catches a lot of grief, I think, sometimes because, you know, the, an opposing team will score points in the paint and they say, well, Rudy's supposed to be stopping that. It's like, no, Rudy switches over to fix everyone else's problems and then nobody Rudy does their job to rebound. Yeah. Nobody helps him. So that's something that Trent Forrest, I think, can do. Attack the rim, shoot, because it will open up putback opportunities for other guys on the And roster. then we wonder why Rudy's irritated at the post game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we wonder why, oh, Rudy's talking about the defense not being good enough again. It's because when he helps, his guy gets a dunk and some bozo out there is like, well, what's the matter with Rudy? Jeez, this guy had 12 points tonight. 
But everyone raved about Trent Forrest after the game. Now, they're not yep. going to go run their guy down. They're not going to Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt. <laughs> Still my favorite part of the year, maybe. Actually, I take that back. Last night, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to, to talk about this, my favorite quote so far in the season came last night from Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson talking yeah. about not wanting to lose a meal? No, talking about it's like going to McDonald's huh. and nagging the guy working the fries. That's that's what he said, talking about the fan yeah. hassling him on the floor. It's like, it's like going to McDonald's. And he used the word nagging, which yeah. I thought. And yeah. nagging the guy working the fries. Yeah. Like that's such a funny comparison. Why is he so brilliant? For a backstory, a drunk fan sitting courtside at the Spurs game was harassing Mike all night. Apparently, there was two guys. Jordan was uh, sorry. Jordan all night. Excuse me. Uh, was harassing Jordan all night, and one of the guys was fine, and one of the guys was kept going over and pushing it past and past and past. And during a, a game break, during a timeout, Jordan actually started walking towards him, kind of threateningly, apparently, and. Jazz teammates had to go and get Jordan and pull him back to make sure he didn't get himself in trouble. And after the game, yes, he said, yeah, it's like complaining to the guy at McDonald's. Like, I'm here to put on a show for you. I'm actually working kind of for you here right now. I'm just trying to work the fries, man. He also said, if I go over there, it's going to cost me a mil. And I could give that to my daughter and she could go buy a Bugatti or something. And I'm like, oh, we have different lives. We We end up in a lot of the room, the same room sometimes. But But our lives are a lot different. But then you see that uh, picture on Christmas of he and his daughter in matching pajamas, which is just the cutest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. And you're like, well, you know, they're they're not so different. There are very few people on earth I would rather see be extremely wealthy than Jordan Clarkson. He seems pretty well adjusted. He's funny. He likes it. He appreciates it. He honestly appreciates it. Like he does not let that money just kind of come and go. And, you know, he's got some funny cars and he does his Jordan Clarkson thing, but, like, I think he genuinely appreciates everything that's been given to him. It's like going into McDonald's and nagging the guy working the fries. But he was great last night. You know, he was great. 23 points, 9 of 21 from the floor. Didn't shoot well from three, but didn't let that affect the rest of his game, which is a key for Jordan Clarkson. If the Jazz are going to win in the playoffs, you can't just be, are we making shots or are we missing shots? Because the Jazz shot awful last night. Jazz were 29% from the three-point line. They didn't break 10 threes, which has happened like three times in the last year and a half now. If they don't make 10 threes, they usually lose games. They made 9 of 31, and they still beat the best offensive team in the NBA over the last five games. That was a, that was a strong win for the Jazz. Isn't uh, Jordan's from San Antonio, right? Yes, he, he, he grew up between Tampa and San Antonio, I think. Isn't that weird? Like, there's some guy hassling a right. townie? Yeah, the hometown guy. Did that happen when, like, Scott Pollard came back to Utah? Brian Scott? Byron Scott? Byron Scott? Devin Brown? Devin, Devin Brown, Brown was from Ogden. That guy was a bum, though. We should have we yelled at that guy. <laughs> Did, did they get the business? You'd think you'd get you'd get some preferential treatment if you're a, a town guy, right? A townie. Hassling Jordan Clarkson, of all people? Yeah, Byron Scott was also born in Ogden. All hey, right. Ogden, rich basketball apparently, tradition. Apparently. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, that this comes up in the segment we were supposed Randy to talk Ray. to Randy Ray. Uh, Coach Ray got caught up. Megan, is that uh, what uh, Paul's telling us? Yes. Hopefully he's recruiting the next Dame Willard. Hopefully yeah, that's right. where he is. Or, or he's enjoying Joel the holidays with his family. Ball and boy. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope it's that. Actually. I hope he's actually just having yeah. a wonderful brunch. Exactly. Enjoying his family, for yeah. sure. That's what we hope. Uh, we'll co- talk to him next week. Yeah. And I thought we salvaged a pretty productive per- uh, discussion. And I got the read in, Ben. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Right at the beginning of the segment. Speaking of that. I uh, want to remind you about our friends at Built Bar. Whether it's the double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, cherry, barcia, or salted caramel, enjoy a Built Bar. 100% real chocolate, 100% real delicious. Order yours today at Built.com. Save 10% off your order using promo code ZONE at checkout. That's Built Bar. John Collins was born in Utah. John Collins is a place for the Hawks. The right Hawks, now. John Collins? Born in Layton. Stop it. How is that possible? I'm looking at all the players born in uh, in Utah. A lot of Ogdens. You're right. Tom Chambers, also the greatest player ever to come out of the state of Utah. Uh, born in Ogden. Hooper. Burt Cook, which is the most Hooper name I've ever heard. Fred Sheffield from Kaysville. John Collins from Layton. You mentioned Scott Pollard. He played at, or he's from Murray. Watt Masaka. Of uh, course. the color barrier, which Legend. is awesome. Uh, he's from Ogden. Byron Scott and Tom Chambers, all from Ogden. O-Town, Ben. Salt Lake actually has quite a few Serious guys. basketball being played up But they're all like BYU or Utah guys. Hmm. All right. Yeah, Tom Chambers, best basketball player ever to come from Utah. That's pretty cut and dry, right? 
born here. I mean, certainly had the most successful career. He's he's the only player in NBA history who scored twenty thousand points who's not in the Hall of Fame. Seems like he should be. He probably ought to be. He's like right borderline, you know. A bunch of times All Star, right? One of the best two players on. Uh, I mean, I guess not an NBA great team, but certainly a good NBA team with he and Kevin Johnson. Four-time All-Star. Two-time All-NBA. He's right. Like, he's certainly the best player not in the, in the Hall of Fame. I feel very safe saying that. Hmm. 20,000 points. That's, that's a lot. Like, Rudy Gay has 17,000. Like, that's how prolific Tom Chambers was. Like, he was in for a long time. Joe Johnson, also probably the best player right now not in the Hall of Fame. He's not even eligible yet, though. And I don't know if Joe's a Hall of Famer. I would put him in. I hope he gets there because not just what he did on the floor, which he was really good. He just everyone loves Joe Johnson. Every place he's ever been, he's the opposite of Kyrie Irving. Every, he's he made money and you're like, eh, he kind of gets paid a lot. He, every single team loved Joe Johnson when he was there. Every fan base loved him. So I'm rooting for Joe. I so Joe. Who gave him the big deal? Was it Atlanta? Atlanta. It was Atlanta, right? Yeah. He went from Phoenix to Atlanta and then re-upped He went in from Atlanta. Boston, traded to Phoenix as a rookie. Went on that team where it looked like Phoenix was going to be a dynasty with Stoudemire and yep. Steve Nash. And then Atlanta was like, well, we'll give you $80 million to be the guy. And he took that, and everyone was mad at him. It's like, well, yeah, he took a bunch of money to go be the guy, and he was good enough to be the guy on some good teams, then ended up in Brooklyn. Man, those Hawks teams made the playoffs a couple of years, right? Yeah. No, yeah. Joe Johnson was good. I, again, I would put him in the Hall of Fame. All right, stay tuned. Uh, we'll wrap up. Jake and Ben coming up next. Get you ready for Hans and Scotty G right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. A Rose Bowl bound for a battle against Ohio State. The Utah Utes headed to the Rose Bowl for the first time in program history. Emphatic champions. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena is right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson. We just watched uh, the Houston Cougars punch it in again. Jake, are you excited for the college football playoff? Uh yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I, I like the college football playoff. I, I love the college football playoff. I don't know if I fall in love with any of these teams that are in the college football playoff. Like I like. This clear and cut storylines when Alabama is obviously the bad guy and you're rooting against Alabama and you hope whatever scrappy underdog can beat them. Now, this should be the scrappiest of underdog years with Cincinnati going out there, but Cincinnati's going to lose by three scores. Yeah, so that game doesn't really stopped. matter. They're going to lose by 17 plus. That's a guarantee. That's a Ben guarantee. Take it to the bank. Georgia, Michigan. I don't know if I care all that much about Georgia, Michigan either. Well, I don't like Michigan, so I'll be cheering You'll against be rooting for Michigan. Georgia. I'll be cheering for Georgia. I'd like to see Georgia win, I guess. I'm never rooting for Alabama either. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think Cincinnati probably gets rolled. Yeah. But do I really want to see another Georgia-Alabama matchup? No. But I don't... Uh, th- but do I want to see Michigan have any sort of success? No. I, <laughs> see? Maybe I'm with you. Like I usually, there's an easy storyline for me to root for. There's something I'm like hoping happens, and I don't have a hope necessarily that something happens. Like I don't hate the Harbaugh's. I don't love the Harbaugh's though either. I don't mind Michigan historically as a program. It's funny that they keep getting beat up by Ohio State, and it was kind of a cool story that they ended up breaking through. But at the same point, it's not that exciting this year. Like I, I just don't have. And it doesn't feel like there's a juggernaut matchup waiting to happen either that feels inevitable like there are some years. That's also really fun. Clemson, Alabama, yeah, yeah. three straight years. Like Those can be fun. That storyline is fun. I just don't feel that this year in the college football playoff, and I'm wondering if I'm alone on that. I feel like I should be rooting for Michigan. If it were anybody else but Michigan, I might be rooting for Michigan. I did love Jim Harbaugh's comment about Ryan Day in the postgame after they beat him where he said he woke up on third base and told me he hit a triple. <laughs> But can I say something about that comment? Because it's a, it's hilarious. Because he absolutely inherited a gold mine a of a program. Yeah. Wasn't Jim Harbaugh's dad literally like a very famous coach? Yes. Like 
Harbaugh actually was born on third base. I I gotcha. Yeah, you're not wrong. But he did coach for the San Diego Toreros. Correct. He, w- he worked he went up to Stanford, Stanford and, and boy, yes, he worked yeah, himself right. up. But he like, didn't get a hand. He carried a, some cachet with his name. He did. Probably more from the beginning of his life than Ryan Day did. And think, admittedly, I don't know Ryan Day's backstory. Do you think Harbaugh got more because his old man who was who he was or because he was the quarterback of the Bears? And he was the comeback kid for the Colts. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's where his cachet comes from. Because nobody knew who John was until he got the Baltimore Ravens job. But maybe he got the job because of I his old man. I wonder if that's true, though, because of... Football circles, no football circles. People take care of each other in football That's circles. True. That happens. So I don't necessarily think. I mean, I, I just thought that was funny. But you're Jim Harbaugh. You're the comeback kid. You can't get a better job than San Diego. Sure. And he goes there and kills it. I didn't even know the Toreros had a football program until Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> until Harbaugh the, was there. And he beat Pete Carroll while he was at Stanford. Built Stanford into. I mean, his credentials as a coach are pretty great. Now, he, he wears thin the longer he's at a place, and thus it doesn't work out uh, eventually for the 49ers, right? But, no, well, Ryan Day's had a very hard life. Now I feel terrible. Well, really? I'm not feeling terrible. I mean, Harbaugh had a, you know, Harbaugh, again, his dad was a well, very What did Ryan Day do? Um, do you want me to ruin the show before the end of Is the show? Is it that bad? Would you pull up his Wikipedia? All right. I warned you. Ryan Day was raised by a single mother, Lisa Day, following the death of his father, Raymond Day, on January 20th, 1988, of suicide. Jeez. Day admitted publicly on June 5th, 2019, my birthday, uh, publicly for the first time that his father was a victim of suicide when he was nine years old and his two younger brothers, Chris, was seven and ten. Jeez, that Jim Harbaugh is a real jerk. Really, Jim? Born on third base? Was he? He didn't say born. He said wake up on third base. So there is, I guess, I don't a know, subtle, subtle difference there. Coming from football royalty? You make a great point, Ben. I take it all back. <laughs> Hated that comment. Terrible. Wow, that was a downer. Why'd you, why'd you say that, Ben? Does it get worse? You're reading more. Does it get worse? <laughs> it gets more bleak? Yeah. Well, he's a real true... Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not rooting for Ryan Day this weekend. He's a true perseverance story. But you can't be Harbaugh and saying he's <laughs> had an easy path to success. Doesn't sound like that's actually been the case with any any of the slightest bit of research ever. So, you know, he probably deserved the big break of getting handed the juggernaut then. Yeah, I'm happy for Ryan Day that he took over Ohio State. In fact, I like it more than I like Urban Meyer. Well, that's not hard. That's not hard at all. That seems like a good place to end it. Good show, Ben. Good show. Dynamite finish. Nailed it. I am excited for the college football playoff. And still, I'm rooting against Michigan. Confirm that feeling. Yeah. Now it's really easy to root against Michigan. Go, Georgia. Yeah, we would love to see the SEC do well. Let's get up. And I do like that. I also don't feel like anyone's rooting for Cincinnati. Cincinnati should universally be the Toronto Raptors going up against the Golden State Warriors a few years ago. Like sometimes everybody rallies for one team in the entire country. The Braves this year. Everyone was behind the Braves this year for whatever reason to come in and win and win the World Series. We just kind of get behind these teams. That did not end up happening uh, for Cincinnati this year. And I'm not sure exactly I'm not sure if I exactly know why Cincinnati has not become this this team that people are rooting for. In fact, did you see yesterday Alabama's linebacker called themselves the underdog? Alabama said we've been the underdog all year. I love when teams that are obvious front runners call themselves the underdog. Ben, not even Cincinnati fans like Cincinnati. Correct. There's like five people that go to the home games, even when they're good. It it's kind of Boise too. The everybody loves the Boise Broncos, but even their own fans don't go to the game. Right. So it's it's where Utah really and TCU for that matter uh, and uh, were sleeping giants in a sense. Yeah. Because they had some built-in advantages that hadn't been maximized. TCU obviously in the market that they play in, U- Utah in the market they play in too, maybe to a lesser extent, but also the community that they could recruit and what you know they had proven over time that they could do. Whereas uh, you know all of a sudden Utah has had what's the sellout streak now, Dan Ben? Since they got to the Pac-12, it's like ten years, and yeah, they probably 
fudge some numbers for a non-conference game here yeah, or there. But the, away. Yeah. but the but the point is, they've been packing that stadium uh, for you know a long period of time, more uh, a period of time to prove that it's legit, right? The groundswell of the fan base and sold out those games, even when the Utes were less than 500 uh, overall and certainly uh, less than 500 in league, right? The two five and seven seasons still packing that stadium. I mean, there was the, there was the, the potential there for the support amongst right. the fans Correct. and alumni and all that stuff that isn't there at Cincinnati or Boise State. Yes, I will say this. In my life, now I've been covering Utah football for about a decade. Uh, You've been doing it for, what, 20-plus years? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Even when I was young, I remember, I mean, I I certainly remember seeing the, you know, the the famous scores every time Utah would beat BYU. 34-31? You would see it on the... uh, on like people's, you know, the spare tire case you'd have on the back of your car. Like yeah. people would have it stitched onto their car or have the bumper sticker. Like it was such a big deal. I think you're right. There was always enthusiasm for Utah football as throughout my entire life, and I'm sure I'm sure that wasn't always the case. I know in the '80s when they were really bad and BYU was great, it was probably hard to be a Utah fan. But the enthusiasm and the desire for that team to be good has always been there, and that's been important to, to get to the point where they are now. Uh, but yes, where some of these schools. People just don't care. Well, Stanford, nobody cares. Cal, nobody cares. Probably the most important thing that happened. Well, let me back up because uh, we love Coach Mac, uh, certainly on this station, this show. You fans like Coach Mac. But at the end of Coach Mac's run, Ben, the support dialed back down again. That stadium was empty again. And it was probably the biggest argument to make a change because you either lose that momentum that you build or you roll the dice to take it to the next level. And it ended up working for Chris Hill. If Chris Hill had made the wrong hire, not hired Urban Meyer and hired someone else that couldn't come in and win football games and, and you know keep that momentum going, it might be a different story. We might be talking about a different uh, situation for Utah. I don't think that winning the Sugar Bowl got the Utes into the Pac-12, but I think those other Pac-12 schools looking at a sold-out Rice Eccles Stadium, I think that had a big-time impact. you got to have the support. The Pac-12 has enough empty stadiums to deal yeah. with and programs that don't have enough support. They didn't need to add another one. And I think the support that Utah has given to its entire athletics department, but specifically the football team, has been the reason why the program has escalated to now playing in a Rose Bowl. Uh, it's crazy. You look back at Utah getting into the Pac-12 and how somewhat, I mean, it's a little bit lucky. Now, you'd won. It's a lot of bit lucky. You'd won the Fiesta Bowl. You'd won the Sugar Bowl. Like I, I think there's a very huge argument that Utah was the most deserving team to go to the Pac-12 of any of the P5 schools at the time. Now, TCU also made the jump. I, I get it, not to the Pac-12. Boise State probably could have, but a lot of the things, enthusiasm for school, nobody's yes. there, Delta Hub, like, it's silly things. Like, who randomly decided to build an airport in Salt Lake City and that ended up changing the way we look at Salt Lake City. Some of those weird little things matter. But also, the Pac-12 is so lucky that it got Utah and didn't get some other school that doesn't actually matter all that much because the enthusiasm in Utah is high. They've they've so far exceeded expectations for Utah in the first decade of being in the Pac-12. I mean, they have lapped the expectations very reasonably of, of how good they could be. They are so much better than they should have been at this point and are now in a great position to win a Rose Bowl over one of the premier schools in all of college football because they've been so good. It's been... Plus... It's increased the talent level of high school players in the state of Utah, which has made everyone better in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has been really lucky to have Utah as well. So I have this long-running argument with PK about Arizona State. Okay. Why can't Arizona State be good every single year? We've talked to 75% of the 18-year-olds in this country and say, how would you like to go to Arizona State for free? Right. And they'd all say, oh my gosh, where do I sign? Right. Good weather. You know, everybody likes to go have a good time. Party school. You can still probably salvage a decent education out of there as well. You know, Phoenix is a a a great town. You can get whatever education you want anywhere you want to go. That's probably a pretty good point. But but why, why could you not get any recruit you want to come to Arizona State. And PK's counter argument, which I've I've come along with now. I didn't for a while, but I've come along with nobody cares. Nobody sure, cares. Sure. At Arizona State, nobody cares about Arizona State football in Phoenix. They're fifth or sixth on the totem pole. Behind Arizona basketball. 
I mean, they're they're behind the Cardinals, they're behind the Suns, they're behind the Diamondbacks, they're behind the are the Coyotes still a thing? They're behind them? Yeah. They're behind Arizona basketball? Nobody cares. You go and play in front of empty stadiums and you walk around town and nobody knows. Britton Covey can't go shopping. Right. All right, wrap it up. Nick Ford can't go shopping right. without being stalked by you. hounded by me in his face. Creepy pictures? You're like, yeah, that's Nick Ford. Take I yell a picture. It. I yell it. I mean, uh, Sean Bradley. Our guy Tom Hackett hasn't played yeah. in... How right. many years? He probably can't go to the store without somebody going, oh, you're Tom Hackett. Are you Tom? Are you the greatest Utah football player of all time? He says, yes, I am. Mate. Mate? <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal here. BYU is the same thing, right? Correct. You know, Jan Jorgensen can't walk around Provo right. without uh, without people saying, oh, that's Jan Jorgensen. Right. Hans Olsen. Watch. Seriously, Hans is coming up next, and we'll step aside for those guys. But Maybe. Hans... Hans is still a, I mean, he's always a celebrity Hans or yeah. whatever, but you know, everybody still remembers Hans from his BYU days. So it's part of an advantage Megan. that Utah BYU. Megan had. O'Brien, our producer. Famous. She can't go anywhere now. <laughs> no. Can't go to the store anymore. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. Thanks, Stay Megan. Stay tuned. Uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.